0: Thank you. Hey, folks, uh, welcome to another edition of the Mental Health Podcast. I have uh, Sharina here with me. Uh, I hope I pronounced the name right, but uh, feel free to correct me. Um, uh, But uh, I'm excited for you guys to hear what she has to say and uh, take it away, Uh, Sharina. The way I start the conversation is to ask people to give themselves an elevator pitch of sorts uh, so people understand where you're coming from and... Uh, they, uh, get to create a baseline of sorts, uh, uh, from that as well. So
1: I am a neuroscientist and I work in the world of startups and the primary startup that I'm working in, we're working on neuromodulation for mental health, Okay. and uh, it's in stealth, but so I can't really say more about it, but I'm excited to be working on this technology as a research scientist.
0: Um yeah thank you for uh, sharing that um and I'm a curious person and I've gotten a few perspective on this already but uh, I want to get your take on what does mental health mean to you
1: I think that mental health it's not just this matter of is a person in a disease state or not but rather it's more of this matter of how we grow as humans and how do we integrate with this changing world because even even millennia ago humans were trying to figure this stuff out but even as the world has become more complex and even as there are so many technological innovations there are still problems in the world of mental health where it's not quite solved yet. And yet if we can figure out things about what helps a person to flourish, what kinds of challenges are good to get into or what kinds of existential crises are best to get into sooner rather than later to avoid a bigger problem in the future, then that would be very fantastic.
0: Yeah, um thank you for highlighting that. And and I feel like um today, Uh, I see a lot of solutions in the mental health space. uh, But uh, one of the problems that I do notice is uh, lack of policy or lack of uh, guidelines in terms of how, uh, you know, we want to be more inclusive, or how we want to be sort of more diverse. And, uh, you know, uh, to, to that aspect, I feel like um, we want to have more conversations and we want to get more people together uh so that um you know people understand that it is a more diverse space. Um and I see um and I noticed from your profile as well that you've you've done some comedy as part of the University of Michigan ne- neuroscience you know graduate program. So I, I was kind of curious like what is your take on comedy and like how can we become more inclusive? Um, by using a comedy as a medium as well, so.
1: One thought that I have about that is that comedy, it opens people up. So then Mm -hmm. when it comes to thorny problems and hard conversations to have, being able to approach them with humor, rather than this sense of, I know the answer, or I'm going to be right about this. Well, that doesn't really create a dialogue. I think that a lot of matters of mental health are ultimately about having a healthy dialogue. And part of that includes becoming friends with yourself. So that means that you have to include yourself and become friends with your own mind. And a lot of people, they're not even friends with their own mind. Rather, they try to be friends with everyone else, maybe, or they... to be friends with some other people but they haven't integrated within themselves quite yet instead they're continuously judging why am i this why haven't i had enough energy today why am i why am i not so motivated to do this particular thing that some people expect me to do and so there's this striving of becoming better that almost all people work to do And this matter of alignment to what the person's actual goals and what they're really like, sometimes that's missing from the picture. And so in becoming friends with yourself, there is this matter of, well, if I looked at it from this angle of this is kind of humorous that I'm this human floating around in this world. And it's kind of amusing that all of this, this stuff happens, but in the grand scheme of things, it's kind of a cute situation because I know that in five years, it doesn't really matter that I got a flat tire on the way to this one thing, or I got stuck behind a door while trying to enter the train station and ended up being late. These kinds of things, well, they're, they're just part of being a human. <laughs> so it's not the best to beat yourself up about them, but this sincere dedication to growing as a person and to encouraging people around you is great. And encouragement is another piece to this, which is that it's not about giving people praise. It's not about saying things are bad or things like that, but rather it's about encouragement of people to reach their full potential, including ourselves.
0: Definitely. Um, you know, I picked on a few notes there. Um, trying to be better advocates for yourself. I, I I put it that way. Um, and, uh, you know, trying not to sort of fit in and find people so that um, You know, you can claim that you have a certain number of uh, friends uh, from that standpoint as well. Um, You know, one thing that sort of uh, made me question, um, you know, this thought came up wherein like, how do you know if something is going to matter in the next five years, right? Uh, Since we don't understand the impact of certain things that happen, and since your own sort of perspective in terms of situational understanding, I was kind of curious, like, how do we know, like, you know, a certain event doesn't have impact, like, in in five years timeline or in in a 10 years timeline? How do you sort of differentiate that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, because there are lots of things that I did say in high school that I didn't think really mattered that much or I forgot about quite soon after. Let's say that I happily said hello to a lot of people when they entered the classroom. Well, I I don't quite remember doing that, but apparently it made a lot of people happy and they still remembered it many years later. And so that has been well that has been the sense of, okay, I did not know that it would affect have that effect in that time. I didn't know that reaching out to a person to ask for advice would have a big impact in the next few years. But in terms of the small stuff that, that is, let's say a negative event that's not really important to remember about I think that it's nice to just let that go (laughs) and to move on because, okay, how, if I did remember the thing, how would that affect me in five years? Oh, I forgot to turn off the light before leaving my apartment, let's say. And then I came back to it and then I just continuously ruminated about how awful I am for not having turned that light off. Well, in five years, that wouldn't really make me a better person. Rather, if I just remember, OK, I need to turn the light off every time I leave. And I may have missed that once, but that's just part of being a human, too. <laughs> then, well, then the outcome at the end is better than if I just continuously thought about that thing that I did wrong.
0: Definitely. and. Um... You know, when we were talking about this, like, you know, I, I got curious around cybernetics and the whole feedback loop, right? So um, one of the things that I notice is like, even though consciously certain things we don't notice, unconsciously or, you know, uh, subconsciously, uh, we, uh, we are almost keeping track of everything that's going on. And, you know, to your point, I, I, I was just wondering, like, you know, when you have certain negative things or. Negative events that happen to you. Uh, sometimes it's good to take feedback from from whatever happened to sort of I don't know improve your response to certain situations going forward as well. So so, so that sort of got me curious as well. Like, w- what's your take on that? Like, I know I don't want to ruminate on it, but I don't want to spend uh, you know less time worrying about it either because like you know I don't know how much of consequence it is going to be going forward as well. So
1: yeah that's true i think that there are lots of different ways to create feedback loops some people like to create a feedback loop via journaling and that really resonates because they can they can get all of this negative stuff off of their mind and go now i don't need to remember about it anymore because i have the journal to remember it for me so that if i ever have to go back and and i am kind of attached to a to keeping track of things, then at least there is that thing. But I personally do not have to remember; the machine will for me. Um, let's say if, or the, or the pages will remember it for me. I journal on my laptop a lot, and then when it comes to other matters of cybernetics there are there are things like wearables where you might be able to better notice okay my heart rate is elevated because i've received this notification that this is so even though i'm resting what is this saying about about my response to the situation can i take a few steps back and go you know what i'm going to approach this with with calmness and with equanimity and allow things to unfold and I don't need to get too stressed about it. Things are okay. I think that that is another way to do things. This matter of mind-body connection, I think is a key one because a lot of people, they've come to to have this detachment between mind and body, where they're they may be in class all day Or they may be in lots of presentations all day or Zoom calls, and then their mind, it becomes a bit more detached from their body, which is part of why you see a lot of people with terrible posture, even though they've very clearly learned how to walk when they were small children. And so when a person becomes really detached from their body, then they may not be able to experience and integrate with their emotions quite as well. So, that when things do arise, then they don't really know how to take care of it because they haven't really quite learned to map emotions to physical sensations and to do this in a way that works well over time. So, if a person becomes fully embodied and they're able to tell, okay, this is the sensation that I'm feeling when I'm sad, I feel heavier, I feel like like i am not quite as sharp then that can tell you some things about how you are responding to a situation and about what really your your goals in life might be and whether those are really aligned with aligned with what you're doing
0: definitely um you know one thing that sort of also came along as you were uh, you know sharing your insight was like how much information are we tracking how do we keep track of all the information that we're tracking and and you mentioned journaling right like i understand how uh you know this is a struggle to to keep track of all the things that you're doing uh, and like how much influence um does tracking all of this uh, have on your own mind uh you know w- w- when i think about it so like you know uh, can we simplify this further like what are your thoughts like w- w- what comes to your mind when I, when I say all of that so
1: when it comes to tracking it's important to measure what actually matters to you so then for instance finance it affects kind of everyone. So I think that it's good to track things in finance, things in terms of how you're feeling on different days in order to uh, to sense patterns that may not emerge otherwise. or sometimes people they may realize that they might have a food allergy, and that's the reason why uh, why they've been feeling the ways that they've been feeling. in that case, then it may be good to keep a food journal, but, being able to track things about what is important to you that matters. There are a lot of things that are not important that people decide to track anyway, but they might become important. So there comes this question of, is it important now? And also, are we paying too much attention to the numbers without actually paying attention to the important things that we should?
0: definitely um and you know that's been my struggle as well like uh, to understand what matters in the now and even quantifying what in the now is uh, is it today is it this week or is this this month that i want to sort of keep track of um and like you know just to sort of touch upon this aspect of who is tracking your information and like you know, it, it, taking it to the ethics part of the conversation, right? I, I, I'm kind of curious. Like, um, how how do you sort of see this sort of improving? Because like I, you know, everybody is talking about responsible AI now. But but the thing is, like, who gets to define what responsible AI is? And like, how do we sort of trust somebody when they say, hey, you know, we are governing or creating guidelines on you know saying this is going to be responsible AI as well? So.
1: That's a great question, partly because AI, there are lots of things that have yet to be defined as new things emerge. And so policy almost always at least somewhat lags behind the actual innovations, which may not be talked about that much in public yet until they're actually released. And so this matter of responsible AI I think that a lot of it has to do with with culture and what is rewarded in the incentive structures as they are. So then what is the incentive structure and how do you create it? Well, there are different ways of making rewards rewarding. That's one of the first questions that I was just curious about during grad school. Why is the reward rewarding? Why? Why doesn't this mouse like the sugar water that I'm trying to give as a reward, but over time it actually ends up liking it? Well, I think that at least when it comes to humans, some people, they feel really rewarded if they have more time off work, for instance, and other people, they feel more rewarded if they're paid more and other people, they feel more rewarded if they've done something that is very meaningful in their job. And so I think that this matter of story, it's one of the biggest factors when it comes to the reward being rewarding. People may find themselves saying, okay, well, if I earn this grade on this test, then that would be quite rewarding because I've spent a lot of time doing it, well, studying for it, and I put in the hours and and this is the outcome other people they may not feel so rewarded by that they may feel more rewarded by sitting next to the campfire and roasting a marshmallow and seeing you know what this this is the crispiest and most perfect marshmallow partly because this is the story that they've told themselves about okay what is the process of reward so then when it comes to responsible ai and what to think about that, I think that this matter of how the story is constructed and how this and what this actually does with people, it matters. For instance, OK, let's say that I'm trying to create a a medical device and I can push a button and it can kind of zap me to happiness. Is that a good outcome? Well, in a sense, it might be because well i might feel somewhat better in the moment <laughs> but ultimately how would that change my relations with people how would that how would that ha- have to do with the concept of myself and how would that be able to to hold together i think that yes there There are always going to be thorny problems around this. But think about. What tends to be the outcomes and how you're participating in it. Social media used to be quite bad for me, actually, in terms of I would go on Facebook when I was an undergrad college student and I would just feel worse from being on that social media. But so then i deleted it i deleted it for maybe six years or so and then i came back and my experience with it now is much better than it was when i was a college student because i'm using it differently before i was constantly looking at likes and refreshing my screen and just kind of feeding off of these likes but nowadays it i don't really care about that nearly as much It's more about okay am i being encouraging to the world and how am i connecting with with people whom i don't normally see in person that much and so there is this greater wholesomeness of i don't feel quite as separate from people or in search of validation but that this is really more about connecting and then I've also found while going on various travels and conferences and things like that, that some people who have never given any response to anything that I've ever posted on social media, they would say things like, I love your LinkedIn posts. (laughs) <laughs> and then I would think, what? But you've never said anything about them. You've never uh, <laughs> um, really seemed to react to them, but clearly you seem to be happy about them. So just because a person doesn't respond, that doesn't mean that they they never saw a thing that you created. Rather, it's, it's a longer feedback loop. And it just happens to be a good effect that that pulls people in, even if only (laughs) in-person.
0: Definitely. Um, You know, as you were giving your answer, you know, so many thoughts popped into my head. But like, one thing that was clear was like, the reward, I don't know, mechanism have changed. I mean, how technology is sort of giving us rewards and how we perceive those rewards. Uh, have changed as well. So like, you know, one thing that uh, made me curious as well, you mentioned that like, um, is it just the age that that has sort of made you more mature and you seem like now you're interacting with with, uh, social media better? Or is it more that you uh, have done all the research and that has sort of trained your mind? into that feedback loop to appreciate other things than just like, you know, um, interacting with social media for the validation purpose as well. So, uh, you know, some thoughts on that.
1: (laughs) Oh, it's not because I've done any research. It's more of because I told myself a different story because I I experienced more life and saw, you know what, this is more of a continuum than I thought it almost always feels like the world is about to end when you're younger (laughs) and all of these things that seem like they're the end of the world they're it's actually the beginning of the world (laughs) and sometimes these bad things that happen they they lead to more compassion for other people and their struggles so i think that i wouldn't be quite as kind of a person if i was always perfect
0: definitely Um, Yeah. And, uh, you know, to that point, you know, you mentioned you've done a few things and I looked at your profile and I was like, wow, you know, you've, uh, you know, done uh, some time in a Buddhist, uh, you know, monastery and, you know, like, what's your take, like, you know, uh, people are struggling to find the right approach towards getting somewhere. And I, I just wanted to understand, like, as doing different things in different domains, contributed to some of your own sort of understanding of human uh, perspective better or human understanding better. Um, And what's your advice for somebody who's being more curious as well, right? To understand the whole aspect of uh, humanity as a whole uh, as well, so.
1: (laughs) Yeah, curiosity is a big thing. And if you think about it, this is an idea from Judd Brewer who is a psychiatrist at Brown University. When you, are, when you are anxious, are you open or closed? And if you're curious, are you open or closed? Now, for most people, they become anxious and then they close themselves off. And But when they're curious, then they open themselves up. So then this matter of anxiety as a as a matter of being closed and deciding to be open towards things instead and curious about things like, oh, why am I feeling this way? Why is this person this way? Why is this situation this way? Rather than this matter of, I can't believe that happened in some sort of negative way or judgmental way. I think that 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 is one way to deal with matters like anxiety. And some some ways of being, they're kind of habitual. For instance, I'm quite habitually a happy person. I float around, and I notice all kinds of things that are just completely delightful. Like, oh my Tupperware, I live in Sunnyvale and the city of Sunnyvale. Well, the sun shines, but when a cloud comes then that's sunny and then when the clouds part, then it's sunny unveil.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and well ha- having this childlike sense of wonder at some points of life, they seemed to be looked at by some people. As a lack of sophistication. But over time, they realized, you know what? I would be happier too if I thought like that. (laughs) And it doesn't mean, well, sophistication doesn't mean being a grump. It means looking at things and, well, knowing how the parts work to things. So, for example, if a person is a sophisticated programmer and really knows how to apply their computer science. Well, chances are that they have a strong mathematical foundation that allows them to do that meaningful work. But that meaningful groundwork of learning all of that math is something that a lot of people don't quite want to learn because it's hard. (laughs) But the thing is that it's foundational and and so I think that this alignment between theoretical things and pragmatic things in the world is something that people would ideally work with in order to get their their best outcomes
0: definitely um, and as as you were mentioning that like i i want to understand right because like uh everybody wants to understand the secret behind happiness like yeah, you, you mentioned you, you mentioned that you know having that childlike demeanor um helps a lot but uh uh you know considering the current sort of state of society wherein like you know people are finding that hassle be between like you know working in this capitalistic economy where you know, money is sort of prioritized over everything else and sort of understanding pursuing your own passion. Right? So how do how how do you sort of perceive this? Like, you know, what does happiness mean to you? And like uh like what is an acceptable acceptation uh, or like you know manifestation of happiness in in, in your own sort of life as well. So. <laughs>
1: Those were about five different questions, (laughs) but (laughs) I will answer some of the questions. I think that people are looking for the secrets to happiness, but when they were children, they were probably quite happy in terms of being really young children. How often do you see, say, a one-year-old child not being all that happy. Sure, maybe they would be hungry sometimes, and maybe they would be tired sometimes, but the thing is that very young children, they're often quite happy. (laughs) Because, well, there's this sense of just being, and also the sense of not having too many expectations put upon them sure there are some parents who want their child to read as fast as possible and talk as fast as possible and do all kinds of things as fast as possible but i think that yeah one year old or younger people are generally really happy and so okay given that they know how to be happy and a lot of adults don't know how to be happy (laughs) (laughs) i think that there is this sense of okay when people learned a lot of things about what they're supposed to be then they lost the sense of how to be habitually happy (laughs) and just to be open to whatever is done. And that's part of why children learn so fast, because they're not afraid to get hurt so much. They're not afraid of getting stuff wrong or saying the wrong thing. They're just doing the thing. And <laughs> and then they, they learn from just doing the thing. So I think that, yeah, this matter of integrating with the story, too, in terms of work, Yeah, I work in in a capitalistic economy, just like a lot of people work in a capitalistic economy, but at the same time, well, I work at a public benefit corporation primarily, and we talk about the ethics of the neurotechnology on a daily basis in some way, shape or form, because Well, it's important. (laughs) It's important not just as a designated conversation. It's important not just as, say, one thing that the neuroethicist does, but more as a permeation of the culture of, we want to help each other grow as professionals, and it's okay to be a professional. And creating technology that gives people more of what they need to flourish. That's a good thing, rather for than for it to only exist in a few research labs in the world, for instance.
0: Definitely. Um, And I think, as you're answering one question, you know, you're answering the other questions as well. And I feel like that was my struggle. Too, when I was asking those questions because you know you can't ask one question without asking the other question uh, and and I feel like the answers are kind of correlated and codependent uh, in in different ways um you know one thing that I uh, find as a struggle is I don't see enough representation from people of color um in pursuing some of these fields uh, you know in terms of uh doing, uh, research uh, and being more inclusive, you know, in terms of the subject, because like I've spoken to a few people and as of now, there are no mandates to include, you know, uh, a diverse population to conduct research as well. And, you know, uh, entities, corporations, companies, whichever they are, they are forced to mandate themselves to create a more, um, you know, diverse input. So, you know, you can create a solution, which is, you know, uh, helpful for the diverse output as well. So how do we sort of improve this sense of diversity and how, how do we create more inclusion from, from that standpoint?
1: I think part of it is by allowing yourself to be included into things, not this is us and this is them, but rather this is this is the continuum of people And so the sense of not being all that separate, it means being able to show up into the room by starting conversations with people and finding your ways to events. So then for instance, I used to show up to events that were entrepreneurial in nature as an undergrad. And often I was the only woman in the room or I was one of the three out of the 50 people who were in the room So then in that case, well, should I tell myself, oh, I'm different from other people and I look different and I act different than a man would act. And so I don't belong here. That's something that some people would say to themselves, but I didn't say that. Instead, I said, I am so lucky. I am so happy to be here because when I talk with people and meet with them, they'll remember me. (laughs) because I'm different and so if I am different and well and they remember me then that is a substantial advantage for being in that room and I'm so glad that I got to be here this is this is one of the ways of doing it by going you know what because I'm different I can give some sort of value here that and another perspective that other people can't bring maybe but also the sense of it's kind of important that I actually showed up.
0: <laughs> I did
1: something that mattered today.
0: Definitely. And, um, you know, one of my sort of struggles as well is to understand this aspect of transfer learning, wherein like, you know, you have knowledge in, you know, one domain, but like, how do you sort of showcase and highlight that you can use that to apply in other domains as well, like so that, that kind of you know when you said you know I add value in certain ways, um I, I just want to understand from your perspective as well how can we normalize this wherein like you know you don't sort of bring in people just because they have expertise, you bring in people because you see that they can apply something that they know somewhere else into in into areas that you are working in as well. So.
1: yeah i think that it depends on what the needs of the project are for instance i've noticed that there are some people who used to work in automotive software and their thoughts about some matters of neurotechnology are excellent because they've thought about sensor fusion and how that would work in in very fast scenarios so for instance with cars it could be a life or death scenario if the car does not respond fast enough in its automated braking system or various matters of what it should tell the driver about so then if that's the case then could this kind of thing be applied to the nervous system which actually may not be going 70 miles per hour like a car might be going i think that the automotive industry is interesting partly because of the speed that things need to be done but also because these people often need to think about how safe these are. Now it's going to still probably be a long road until autonomous vehicles, fully autonomous vehicles are super safe, but they need to think about, okay, how do we do things with, with ISO compliance? How do we do things in a way that is actually going to be safe, given all of the various variations on human behavior when it comes to roads or vehicle behavior when it comes to roads or animal behavior when it comes to roads, because, of course, deer cross roads, too, sometimes, and so do squirrels. And so all of these nuances, well, these people may have never studied neuroscience, and yet then being able to take some of the principles and say, okay, we're going to study brain activity in that kind of way. It is, it's more relevant than it may appear to be on the surface. Yeah. So there are some things that transfer very obviously. <laughs> like, okay, um, how do we do this thing, but with another sensor, and in a somewhat different use case, versus, let's say, how does literature translate well to uh, deep technologies, or how does art translate to making great design in in products? And I think that actually it kind of does, especially when it comes to building a defensible brand that, that people just love to use.
0: Definitely. Um, you know, one thing that I'm doing as part of being inclusive is asking people you know how do you deal with you know overwhelming emotions anxiety uh and you know when you feel that stress that you don't know um you know where it's coming from uh how do you sort of go about dealing with that
1: walk around (laughs) (laughs) i mean humans they were practically made for walking or running or biking sometimes but not so much but I think that getting some exercise and being able to say, OK, I'm going to walk in a natural place in terms of there are trees around, there's you can see the sky and maybe some birds and things like that. that, that seems to have some sort of healing properties of, OK, feeling more connected to things going, you know what, there's this big sky up there and maybe this this overwhelming feeling is not that big in the grand scheme of things. But also when it comes to walking and being able to jog through uh, the emotions and, well, I think that it helps people to avoid being stagnant in that emotion because they're physically moving around. I think that moving around, it's not discussed enough.
0: Definitely. Um, And, you know, one sort of... A uh, tagline or uh, or a statement that sort of inspires you um, today. It could be today or you know, sometime in the past as well. Something that when you read that out loud, you feel like, oh, you know what? I, I'm I'm inspired to sort of build something bigger as well. So.
1: All things are made of small things, so make today amazing. I don't know where I heard that, but yeah this this matter of every day at least somewhat mattering and even if it doesn't seem to in the moment and also sometimes it doesn't in the moment it is quite the thing oh yeah here's another one which is that enlightenment it is holding things lightly that's one definition. So it's not grasping onto things and it's not being nihilistic, but it's holding things lightly and going, OK, this is what I think that the world is. And it might change, but I'm not too attached to one view. I'm not too attached to anything in particular except maybe growing it. As a person but maybe if i'm too attached to that then i will force myself into things that that are actually not that healthy to do so okay i'm holding lightly
0: definitely uh, that, that was enlightening, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, uh, because,
0: enlightening? <laughs> because i i i i hadn't heard somebody define it that way but uh, thank you for sharing that And, you know, the conversation has been great. And, you know, we've touched on a lot of different points. So like, just to get people more from a three-pronged approach, right? Because I feel like uh, three points uh, people can remember uh, um, easier. So what are some takeaways you want people to take away from this conversation?
1: One thing to take away is that As humans, we really don't know very much. I mean, if I got onto, say, an expert pedestal and said for sure that I know the answer, that I might be closing myself off to various options or conflicting evidence that comes up over time, that might be more correct than my original thought. And then another takeaway is that there are various choices that you can make in terms of how you are habitually. You can habitually go towards openness or closedness when it comes to dealing with anxiety, for instance. But some of these things, they may produce a better outcome, especially over the long term. And then the third thing is that embodiment is a very important part of of mental health. And this is because every emotion manifests as some sort of physical sensation. So if you feel a tightness in your gut, for instance, then there comes this question of where what is that really coming from? Is it just because you ate something that wasn't very good that day? Or is it because you find yourself feeling like you're you're never doing enough. And it comes when you really feel like you're never doing enough. So take these things into consideration. And I hope that you flourish as people.
0: All right. Thank you. Um, I I think I learned a lot from this conversation. And my, my hope is like, you know, people can listen to it from a more, you know, curious perspective, like you're saying, and, uh, you know, they, they get to take away from something from this conversation as well. Mm All right. Uh...